it's uh, good to have everybody here this morning. Appreciate your coming and uh, being with us. <clears throat> there was a traveler, a world traveler. He was in Venezuela, and he had had a hard night drinking. He finally made his way home, and he finally found his hammock in which to lay. And then he tried in vain to take his boots off, his riding boots. And after a while, he just gave up and just laid back in the hammock and began this soliloquy out loud. He said, I've traveled the world over. I lived five years in Cuba, four years in Jamaica, five years in Brazil. I've been in Portugal and Spain. I've even been in Africa. But this is the most abominable country I've ever been in where a man is obliged to sleep with his boots on. This is an example of how men throughout history have excused themselves and their weaknesses, uh, their failures and their sins and blame it on somebody else or something else. We have examples of this every day about us, and I suppose all of us are guilty. We find a number of examples in the Bible where God in all of his mercy and generosity has showered his creation with blessings, both physical and material and spiritual in Christ. And yet man has turned his back on God time and time again, looks the other way when he's brought face to face with some situation, he comes up with an excuse for having turned his back upon God's generosity, his abundance. Let me give you an example from the Bible. Adam and Eve goes all the way back to the beginning of time. God told them, you can partake of any tree of this beautiful garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day thou takest thereof, thou shalt surely die. They understood that. They understood all the blessings that God had given them with that one restriction, that one limitation. Well, the serpent came along, tempted them, and they gave in to the temptation. Then God came along and said, Adam, did you not understand that command I gave you that you were not to partake of that tree of which you partook? And you remember Adam's reply? He said, Lord, it was that woman you gave me. She gave me of the fruit and I did eat. In other words, Lord, if it hadn't been for you and you hadn't given me that woman, then I'd be just like I was before. It's your fault. He turns to Eve and he says the same thing to her. You understood, Eve? Why did you partake of that forbidden fruit? And Eve said, well, the serpent, he beguiled me. It's the serpent's fault. So here are Adam and Eve, guilty as can be. God knows it. And they're trying to argue with God, but God, don't blame us. You blame him or someone else. Take the blame yourself. You remember when God selected Moses? 
<clears throat> He'd been around for a while. He's 80. And God appears to him, at least the uh, angel of the, of the Lord appears to him in the uh, burning bush. He says, Moses, I've got a job for you. I want you to go back and free my people from Egyptian bondage. But Moses doesn't want to go. He says, uh, well, I don't even know your name. And they come up to him and say, well, what's the name of your God that sent you? Well, God had an answer for that, ex that excuse. God always has an answer for our excuses. He says, tell them that I am that I am sent you. That's my name, Jehovah. Well, Moses wasn't convinced yet. He says, but they won't believe me. They won't believe that you sent me to them. And then God said, Moses, what's that in your hand? Well, it's a rod. Throw it down. He did, and it became a serpent. And then God said, Moses, reach down and pick up that serpent by its tail. Now, I don't know if you handle snakes. <laughs> I hope not. But I'm sure if you do, you don't ever reach down and pick up the tail. But anyway, Moses believed God. He reached down and picked up the tail, and immediately it was changed back into his rod. A miracle. Then he told Abraham, I mean, told Moses to put his hand in his bosom. And he brought it out, and it was all leprous. Put it back in, came out again, and it was normal. Then God said, Moses, if they won't believe, these two signs, now I'll give you another one. He says, you can go down to the river Nile, get water out of that river, and pour it out on the ground, and it'll turn to blood. God gave Moses an answer to his excuses. And of course, when Moses went back, he did use these signs that God gave him. But he didn't want to go. And he had this excuse and that excuse, and God had an answer for every one of them. Now, there are folks about us today who have excuses. And these excuses have been around a long, long time. For example, some of us say, well, I'm just not concerned with religion. I'm not concerned with the Bible, with the church, with God. And what they mean is, I'm not concerned about my soul. And there are a lot of folks about who have that attitude. Well, one of the reasons for this attitude is worldliness. John said in 1 John 2, 15, 16, and 17, Love not the world, and neither the things that are in the world. For he that loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away with the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We're not, anybody is to love the world. And to love the world means to love the way the world lives, the way the world talks, the way the world acts. It's contrary to God's will. And we're not to live that way. And that's one of the reasons people just prefer that way of living than doing what God wants them to do. They're not concerned. They're more interested in worldly possessions. And how many are out there working to, uh, you know, to get ahead? And I'm for ambition. But ambition that keeps one away from God is too ambitious. 
for God. There's a man that came up to Jesus one day and he said, Lord, bid my brother divide the inheritance. And Jesus said, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then he made this statement. Take heed unto yourself. Well, it wasn't just for that man. It was everybody that could hear him. Take heed unto yourselves that you keep yourselves from all covetousness. For a man's possession abideth, I mean, uh, a man's life abideth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then he told them this parable. He said, but the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Didn't have enough room for it all. He said, what am I going to do? I'm paraphrasing it. And then he thought for a moment, he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'll pull down these barns and I'll build greater. And then I'll have a place for all of my fruits. And therein will I put all of my goods and my grain. And I'll say unto my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for thee for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus says, thou fool. This night is thy soul required of thee. And the things which thou hast prepared, whose shall they be? And then his conclusion, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so those of us who are working so hard to gain material possessions need to realize that one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. We need God. We need to realize what he's done for us. But just the failure to realize our blessings or the blessings of Christianity is what keeps people back. If they could just hear what Christ has done for them personally, individually, what God has in store for everyone who will do his will, that would make a change in his attitude. Here's why one should be concerned with the gospel, with his soul. One reason is the value of his soul. Remember Jesus made the statement in Matthew 16 and 26, What is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his own soul? If a person could accumulate all of the worth of this world but lose a soul he's made a bad bargain and a lot of folks are just content with making enough to do this and that and by that means lose their soul it's a bad bargain we need to realize the value of the soul that God has given to us it's a gift from God it's going to go on and on and on throughout eternity it never comes to an end. And that's another thing we need to realize, the, the reality of death and judgment in heaven and hell. In Romans 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this cometh judgment. There's not going to be a second chance or, or a third or any other it's appointed unto man by God that we die. And then we face God in the judgment. 
And we're going to go either to heaven or we're going to go to hell. And so we need to be concerned about the reality of these things. And when we think about God's love that's been manifested to us, shouldn't that pull us toward him? Didn't John say we love him because he first loved us? 1 John 4, 19. And then neutrality is impossible. During World War I, World War II, Switzerland, sort of in the middle of Europe, wanted to be neutral. You know, you folks over there, you do your thing, and you folks over here, you do yours. Leave us alone. But neutrality was impossible then, and certainly it's impossible with the soul. Jesus made the statement in Matthew 12 and verse 30. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathers not with me scatters. Jesus says there's no way you can straddle a fence. There's no way you can be neutral when it comes to me. If you've not been following me, then you're going the other way. I, I know a lot of folks must think that. Well, you go ahead and do that. It's all right. I'm not going to hinder you. I'm not against you if you want to pray and worship and do those good deeds. Just leave me alone. I want to be neutral. I'm not going to get involved with all of those wicked things over there. Just neutral. Jesus said, he that is not with me is what? Is against me. And he that gathereth not, very active on the Lord's part, is scattering, working against me. So, those who would say, well, I'm just not concerned with religion, with my soul, need to be because of the realities that we're going to have to face. Others might say, and this is another type of excuse, well, I'm a good moral person. And I'm trying to brag on myself, but I do good deeds all the time. And I'm just as good as those folks who go to church and who worship. I've seen the way some of them React. I know their attitudes aren't right, and I know this and that, and I'm better than they are. I'm as good as they are anyway. And so if they're going to go to heaven, I'm going to go to heaven. That's the, the erroneous reasoning of those who offer this excuse. Well, I'm a good moral person. Well, let's notice this, that we all sin. Those who are saints sin. No one is perfect in this life. Paul said in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23, for we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. By sinning we fall short of the approval of God. And that's what he's saying there in that verse. We're sinners and sin's going to be punished. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. We've been talking about eternal death and hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now he's contrasting here eternal life with death. Well, if if life is eternal, so is death. Not annihilation, but separation from God. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9. There are a number of Prayers by fishermen. And I've got one here somewhere. If I can, oh, here it is. 
that sort of illustrates the point I'm trying to make here. It's a fisherman's prayer. Anyway, it says, God, grant that I may live to fish until my dying day. And when it comes to my last cast, I then most humbly pray. When in the Lord's safe landing net, I'm peacefully asleep. That in his mercy, I'll be judged good enough to keep. Now, there are different ways of looking at that, I'm sure. And it seems a paradox that we cannot save ourselves by good works, but we cannot be saved without good works. I'm not contradicting myself. But good works is not the way that God saves us. He wants us to be good to our neighbors. Here's somebody who is sick. Here's somebody who's had a disappointment, a death in the family. Here's this and that, and people respond, and that's great. That's what a Christian ought to do. People who do not claim to be Christians do it. So we're not down on any of that. But that is not the way God will judge us. Good works are just not sufficient. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast or glory. He's saying that grace on God's part and faith on man's part have a part in one's salvation. And grace means unmerited favor. Regardless of how many of God's commands we obey over and over, we can never earn salvation. Sometimes people have a hard time harmonizing, obeying God, and being saved by God's grace. There's no problem there, no conflict. The Bible plainly teaches that Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation to them who obey him, Hebrews 2, 8 and 9. So we have to obey him, but after we've obeyed him, we cannot say, okay, Lord, when I die, I'm going to heaven. You owe it to me. No. If we get it from God, if we're saved, it's by His grace. It's a free gift. But we still have to do His will to obtain that salvation through His grace. Titus 3 and 5. And here's Paul speaking. We appreciate the, the life of Paul. He said, not by works of righteousness, which we did ourselves. But according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I wasn't saved. I wouldn't. Righteousness, that's a right standing with God. They didn't come by just doing good works. The washing of regeneration, baptism, renewing of the Holy Spirit, by obeying what the Holy Spirit has revealed in the gospel. That's just like John 3 and 5. Except one be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The new birth has to be complied with. Well now, if a person could be saved on his own merits, by his own good works, then Jesus didn't have to die. Galatians 2.21, Paul says, I do not make void the grace of God. For if righteousness, that is the right standing with God, the righteousness of God, is through the law, then Christ died for naught. It's not that way. 
We are saved by His grace. Let's illustrate it this way. Let's say we're on a, we've been out on a um, walk. I can't think of the right word there. We're going uh, camping out. You know, we're walking a ways, a few miles. And while we're out, there's a big earthquake right in our area. And we turn around, we're going to go back home. But on the way back home, we find that the earthquake is called a chasm. And there's a big gorge way down there. And the chasm is 30 feet wide. There's no bridge. It just happened. Our home's on the other side of that chasm. You say, well, maybe we can jump it. Remember, 30 feet. Some of us would just fall over like that. Maybe reach two or three feet. Not 30. Some of those really athletic, they might really jump 15 we could get Bob Beeman. Maybe he'd be with us in this crowd we're just having as an illustration. In 1986, he set the world record for the long jump, 29 feet. He can take off and jump from here and go 29 feet. But this chasm is 30 feet. And some of us may not be able to jump a foot or two. He could jump 29, but... All of us are going to land down in a heap at the bottom of that gorge. Nobody can cross over the chasm. And that is to illustrate the fact that our good works will never be good enough to get us on the side of heaven by themselves. We're saved by the grace of God. I'll give you one Bible example, Cornelius. <clears throat> when we think about Cornelius, he was a great man. And if I could live up to his... His conduct, his lifestyle, surely I'd go to heaven. In Acts 10 and 2, he's described in this way. Cornelius was a devout man. You know what it means to be devout? He believed in God, or he feared God with all of his family, and he certainly believed it if he feared it. He gave much alms to the people, and he prayed unto God always. And yet the angel said, Cornelius, even though you're that devout, you fear God, you give of your benevolence, you pray to God always, you're lost. What you need to do, Cornelius, is to send to Joppa and fetch one Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall speak unto thee words whereby thou shalt be saved, thou and thy house. You mean I'm not saved? No, I'm sorry. But... If you'll get Peter, he'll come and preach the gospel, and the gospel is God's power unto salvation. If Cornelius is lost and so described in the Bible, what about the rest of mankind? We have to do God's will. One other group, uh, we've got to move along here, says, well, I'm, I'm not good enough. I mean, it's sort of on the other side of the spectrum. This person thinks, well, he's good enough to be taken into heaven. But on this side, we have those who think, well, I'm not good enough. I mean, I know I'm a sinner. And I know my sins are so bad that nobody could save me. God wouldn't want to save me. He just wouldn't want to save me. And how could he save me? Living like this? I, I know, I've known people like that. In fact, I'm, I'm thinking of a... About two and a half years ago, I preached this funeral service. 
He died, but he died in the Lord. But it took a while. After a gospel lesson, we preached one night, Sunday night, his wife, their son and daughter-in-law came forward. Well, we didn't have a baptistry in the building there, so we went to another building, another congregation not too far away. And we still talked with them. We said, you know, you know enough. You know what the Lord's done for you. You know, you know what he wants you to do. And why don't you just do it? This is a good time. Get into Christ with your wife and with the rest of the family. He said, well, I, I just don't think I'm good enough. And so he wasn't baptized that night. The others were. Sometime later, while he was working, he was a carpenter. Working with another carpenter who was a gospel preacher. Not full time, but and, and an elder. And that man taught him why he needed to obey the gospel. And he obeyed it. And he was always faithful. I mean, he went with his wife before he was baptized all the time. But when he realized that he didn't have an excuse to stand on. God had an answer for him, and he responded. We need to have a conviction of sin to be saved. person's not going to repent if he doesn't know he's a sinner. That certainly is a requirement. Remember, we read it in class this morning, 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And so we need to make a change. But the power comes through Jesus Christ. He's the one who can save us. Let me turn to Philippians 1 and verse 6. <clears throat> Paul is reminding these Philippian jailers that he had brought into the family of God. He says, when I find verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, and that's God, will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord's going to be with you. He promised to never forsake you. He'd never fail you. He'll lead you along the way. He'll help you. He'll guide you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation taken you, but such as man can endure. And God is faithful. He will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that which you're able. But will with the temptation. Make also the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The Lord is there. He can help us. And he will help us. A woman by the name of Myra Brooks Welch wrote this. And I'm sure most of you have heard it, if not all. Was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folk? he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar? Then two? Only two? Two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once? Three dollars again. Going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, 
He played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, Now, what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with a bow. A thousand dollars? And who will make it two? Two thousand, and who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, cried he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, We don't understand. What changed its worth of the old violin? The touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred by sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that brought by the touch of the master's hand. We must be penitent. We must realize that God's not going to save us in our sins. He came to save us from our sins. But he will save us. Well, let me move on hurriedly. Some will say, well, there are hypocrites in the church. And uh, I don't want to be associated with them. Well, there may be. I don't know. God knows all the hypocrites. But you and I don't. But some people think, well, I know that person's a hypocrite. And I'm not going to come where he is or where she is. And I can be saved if a hypocrite can be saved. That's sort of the way the reasoning goes on. But the point we need to make is this, that each one of us shall give an account of himself. The hypocrite and you and I shall give an account for himself. Romans 14 and 12 says, So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, that we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body according to what we have done, whether it be good or bad. Now, let's just suppose you're out on the lake fishing and somebody's in there and they start acting up and it makes the boat turn over. And you're splashing around there, the boat's turned over, it's not anything to lean on. And you're just about to go down for the third time. But here comes another boat. And they get there just about in time, and they, they say, let us pull you in. And you cry, well, are there any hypocrites in that boat? Are there any hypocrites? No, thank you. I'd rather drown. Who's going to respond like that? But isn't that the same response? No, I'm not coming into Christ. I'm not going to be in his family, his church. I'm not going to have his promise of going to heaven because there may be a hypocrite in there. Well, sometimes people are being more hypocritical than the hypocrites. They're standing behind the hypocrite. They're further away from God than the hypocrite. And the reason they're blaming it on the hypocrites is that they don't want to give up their own sins. One last excuse some would offer is, well, I accept all that you said, but not now. I'm, I'm just not ready. I'm too busy. Don't want to do it right now. 
No time for God? Well, don't say not now. Because we're going to face the Lord someday. There's no promise of tomorrow. There's actually no promise of a convenient season. It's never convenient to make a sacrifice or just to make a change. James said, Come now ye that say today or tomorrow we shall go into this city and spend a year there and trade and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? It's a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then banisheth away. We know how fast time goes. I can't remember the man's name, but in Fiddler on the Roof, his daughter's getting married, and he sings sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset, swiftly fly the days. Anybody who's 20 or older knows how time flies. Don't say, not now. If you know what the Lord wants you to do, do it now. Do it today. The Lord wants us all to accept Jesus as his son. Except you believe Jesus said that I am he, you shall all die in your sins. He said, except you repent, you shall all in like manner perish. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to come to Him. You can have no reason for not obeying the gospel today. That's God's power into salvation, and God will not accept any excuse. So as we stand and sing this song of invitation, you need to come to him. Won't you come as together we sing?